Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning, as you know, we've been a little bit of a different morning. Um, It's not over yet. And uh, in case you're wondering, we will not end at 11 o'clock today. So uh, we started a little bit late, but that's okay. We're going to go a little bit late today. Um, I wanted just uh, two things before I invite Tom and Chris to come up. First thing is, I really wish that I could dance like Felice. That was, that was awesome. I wish I had moves like that. Maybe you could teach me sometime. Um, that, was, that was a real special treat. They're, they're, um, they didn't really say too much about themselves in terms of what they do there, but Felice is, a, is an accomplished musician in Tanzania. And with that, he gets a lot of requests from younger musicians in terms of like, hey, would you teach me? Would you coach me? Um, you know, those kinds of, of, of questions. And so what Felice and Liz want to do is really start an oper- start a ministry to, to um, minister to the young musicians in Tanzania who are coming to him and asking him questions to really disciple them in the word and really make it so it's not just about you getting a bigger name, getting more money, getting recognized, but how do you use your talents for the purposes of God? in Tanzania. And so we really, it's an awesome thing. They're having an album release party in, um, in July. And so we'll let you know about that where all the churches are going to come together. We're going to have a, a big celebration. And I think Felice might put on a little concert for us or something like that. And so we'll have a good time. My, after he got off, my daughter said, I want that music. So it's a cool thing. Um, I want to invite Tom and Kristen up. Tom and Kristen are, uh, they're missionaries in the Philippines. And they are doing some of the most powerful gospel ministry that I know in terms of, of missionaries. A couple of things about Tom and Kristen. Um, Tom, I've known Tom for, how old are you, Tom? I'm 37. 37. I've known Tom my entire life. And he is, he's my cousin, and uh, so we kind of grew up together. We always hung out together. But as Tom and Kristen graduated from college, they decided to go into ministry in, uh, into, into missions. And so they've spent the last, um, I don't know, a dozen years or so, I think, on the missions field and getting ready to bring the gospel to people in, in doing that. And so it's been a neat thing. They're the only missionaries when they were on the last, they go for four years on and they come back for a year and kind of renew their relationships with the family and allow the kids to come, ba- come back in American culture. They're the only missionaries I know on the last furlough. I said, you know, how are you guys doing financially? We'd like to support you guys, you know, what can we do to help? And they said, you know, we're, we're good. We're, we're, we're taken care of. They're the only missionaries that I've ever met who said, I've got enough. Thank you. We don't need your money. And I just think it's, it's a real testimony. They live frugally. Um, they really use all the resources that God has given them for, for the purposes of the Lord. And so we're really privileged to have them here today as people who've gone out. And as we talk and we pray for the nations and we believe God's going to move in the nations, they are, they are the agents that God is using to bring that gospel to the nations. And so we think, like, how is, we pray for that, like, how, God, how are you going to reach the unreached people? He's going to take, take people like you and me and Tom and Kristen and say, you know what? I want you to go and bring the gospel to a faraway place. And that's going to require great sacrifice. It's going to require you to lay down the comforts of America and live in a place that is, is hot and it's it's. It's backwards, and the education system for your kids is, is, is really poor and, and really unacceptable in American standards. But you're going to do that for the sake of the gospel. 
And so they're here amongst us today as people who have who've gone out. And so they're going to tell a little bit of their story, hear a little bit about the people of the, of the Philippines. But I want us to keep in mind, this isn't just like, oh, wow, that's, that's just for them. They, they do that stuff, and we kind of do stuff over here. What I hope today to do is really to stir in us a faith that would say if God would call one of us or many of us to go on that missions field one day, that we wouldn't say, oh, that's good for Tom and Chris, and I'll, just write, I'll write him a check for 50 bucks, and we'll kinda, we'll, I'm off the hook. No, but that God might actually be calling you to go on a mission or to stay on missions or to go full-time missions one day. And maybe that's, maybe that's for us, maybe that's for our children. So I want us to be stirred in our faith that God would, would bring, like he promised, his gospel's bearing fruit all over the world, and it's continuing to do so today as it was back in the time of Jesus Christ. And this is part of the way God does it. So let's just welcome Tom and Kristen. And they're going to share with us. We can sit up here for a while, Hi. Um, well, that was, I guess we're in front of the thing. We'll go down here and sit. Um, there's something else that Johnny and I have in common. Um, he might not know this, besides the fact that we're cousins, but... Um, uh, I, people used to come up to me in the Philippines and tell me I look like Nicolas Cage, which uh, you would, I'm sure, disagree with. But I hear Johnny has had the same thing. People tell him he looks like Nicolas Cage. Um, but he definitely is the better-looking Nicolas Cage than I am. So um, we're, we're very glad to be here. It's, it was really exciting when Johnny invited us to the church um, here at Mercy Hill and uh, your living word, all the churches that you guys are part of. And I know for myself and Kristen, we really feel like when we come here and when we worship with you guys, we really feel at home. Um, we go to churches all over, and we've gone to churches where people don't really raise their hands, you know, when they're worshiping. And Kristen and I are there uh, raising our hands to the Lord. And it's a little awkward, maybe, because, you know, everyone's looking at you. But when we come here, we fit right in. Everyone's dancing to the Lord and worshiping God with all their hearts and minds. So that really is a neat thing for us when we come and worship with you guys. This is our family, and I just kind of wanted, since you didn't really meet our daughters, um, I was I was raised in an all-male family, except, of course, for my mother, but uh, all of us were boys, and before we had children, I thought, surely God is going to give me all boys, because that's really all I knew. Um, this is evidence that God has a sense of humor, really. <laughs> so that's our oldest, that's Rachel, and then Flora is the far left. That's Rachel, Flora, and then Kate is the one kind of in red. And Tessa, we didn't take her along. She's back in Michigan with my folks. So that's our family that was taken near our town behind the school. Yeah, so what we really would like to share with you this morning is um, why we're in the Philippines and what some of the needs are there and what God's been doing there. Um, And to do that, I think we need to start off by giving you just a little bit of um, history and also showing you where the Philippines is. So there it is. we don't like to assume that anybody knows where the Philippines is because um, we've had enough people who thought they did and, and um, didn't. So we just start off with the map. It's kind of south of southeast of China there. Um, it's a land of over 7,000 islands. Um, and because of that, the gospel can be in one place but not necessarily move to another place um, because of the, the difficult travel and distances. Um, 
Uh, way back um, in history, uh, the Philippines was what you call an animist nation where people were very superstitious um, and their beliefs were dominated by um, spirits, thinking that spirits were um, inhabiting rocks and trees and plants and mountains. And um, they spent their lives trying to appease these spirits. Um, and we still see that in the people today, even though they now profess to be Roman Catholics. Um, that's not really um, how they function. They function much more as... Um, people who believe in spirits and um, have kind of put a veneer of Catholicism over that. Um, and so I kind of want to tell you a, a story about um, an idol that's very important in our region of the Philippines, but um, is known throughout the whole country. Uh, and um, it's an idol called the Pina Francia. And I kind of want to tell you about the Pina Francia because this is kind of how Catholicism really exploded through the nation of the Philippines. Um, that's the Pina Francia up there. It's a, it's a small idol made of wood, um, and uh, it's over 300 years old, uh, very celebrated in our area. And so I want to tell you sort of the legend of the Pina Francia and how uh, she came to be. Uh, we don't know how much of this is true, how much of this is legend, how it, and there's different stories in different regions, but this is sort of the, the basic story um, that... Back in the 1400s, there was a young man in France who devoted himself to the Virgin Mary. His name was Simon, and he believed he heard a voice telling him to travel to another region west of France and find a, a shrine of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so through his life, he spent years and years searching uh, for this place. Um, he heard this voice again. Uh, there were supposed miracles that took place. And finally, he came to a rocky hill, and he saw a vision there of Mary sitting on a golden throne holding the baby Jesus. And she told him to dig in that spot and place what he found on the hill above it and build a beautiful dwelling for it. So he found some other people from a nearby village, and they started digging. And um, after much digging, going down deep, they found an image of the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus just there lying down in the ground. So if you fast forward now to the 1700s, um, after Spain had taken possession of the Philippines, there was a Spanish young man who lived in the Philippines um, of a wealthy family, and he became critically ill. Uh, and he and his family prayed to the Pina Francia to spare his life. Um, he vowed that if he was cured, he would have a chapel constructed for her out of gratitude. Uh, he did make a full recovery and became an ordained priest in the Catholic Church. Um, and then he was sent to Naga City, which is a city in our region of the Philippines, um, called the Bicol region. And there he had a chapel built for the Pina Francia, and he also commissioned a local craftsman to carve a replica of the Pina Francia image that was in Spain. And this is that replica. Um, priests and other people soon began to report many miracles surrounding this new image, and so devotion to the Pina Francia spread wild, widely throughout the Bicol region of the Philippines. Um, and devotion to this image, to this idol, continues today. Um, devotees spread throughout the world. They're in places like California, France, Australia, Kuwait, and, of course, in the Philippines. In the Philippines, the annual Feast of Our Lady of Pina Francia is held every September, um, with millions of people flocking to Naga City, uh, where the original chapel was built, and it's held there over the course of nine days. The image is paraded through the streets with millions of people flocking to see it and hoping to have a chance to touch it or rub it with a handkerchief as they believe the handkerchief will then have some of her healing powers that they believe in to help them or a sick relative. The feast is considered to be the biggest and most popular religious event in the Philippines. And we have a video of, of this um, procession, this, this big parade that happens during this festival to show you. 
And what I really want you to, the, the Pina Francia is on a silver dome. She's small, and so they have her on this top of the silver dome. And watch for, um, the Catholic priests are around that dome, and people throw them handkerchiefs. And these people, who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of their community and lead people toward Jesus, are so lost in darkness that they help their own people in their superstitious beliefs. They, people throw them the handkerchiefs. And they rub them on the image and they throw them back to the crowd. These people are, even their spiritual leaders are so lost that they don't know the one who saves them. gives you a little bit of an idea of the deep devotion that the people in our area have to this image. The Pina Francia has her own festival. She has her own web page. She has her own Facebook page. There's villages all over the countryside named after her. There's a bus line named after her on our island. During our past missionary term, the 300th anniversary of the image of the Pina Francia was celebrated. And as a part of the celebration, the image traveled to many parts of the Biko region, including our island, Katanduanas. It came to our town and stayed there for several days during December of 2008. During this time, the image was paraded through the streets of our town as people lined the streets and yelled and cheered and screamed. In fact, the parades went right past our house. I think we have a picture of that if we go ahead. Yeah, I took that picture from our front yard. The image was set up on display in the front of the sanctuary of the Catholic Church in our town, with special masses held to celebrate its 300th anniversary. Devotees came to the church in order to touch the image or rub handkerchiefs on it so they could take its healing power that they believed in back home to sick relatives or friends. 
And this was a very dark time for our ministry team. There was a couple who had been studying the Bible for years with us, and they had been baptized about a month earlier. They walked away from their faith at this time, unable to resist the pull of the Pina Francia. Their names are Reuben and Annie. And Reuben and Annie had struggled for a long time with the idea of letting go of their household idols. Most of the people where we live have household idols in their homes that they trust in to protect them and their families. They had finally seemed to be making progress and strengthening in their faith and had been baptized recently when the Pina Francia was brought to town. And they walked away from the gospel and stumbled back into darkness. Our hearts broke as we were unable to keep Reuben and Annie from leaving behind their newborn life in Christ. But that's the power of these things. To us, it looks like a little wooden doll, but to them, it is, they believe it is saving power. And this is a stumbling block that keeps them from knowing the one who truly loves them the only one who can change their lives, the only one who can truly bring them peace and faith and healing. And, and that's why we're there, because somebody's got to tell them the truth. Um, this couple, too, uh, they were part of a team, actually, at one point, that started two Bible studies. God had moved in their hearts. And um, there's a story I just want to share with you very briefly when the Pina Francia was coming through our town, my teammate went out to videotape it. And as the procession's approaching, he has his video camera up. He's looking in the little screen, and he's getting pictures of everything. And suddenly, his screen f- focuses on Reuben, the guy, the, the husband of the couple we were talking about. And he sees it, and he just freezes and stops. And he closes the video camera, and... He drives off to a part of town where there's not many people, and he starts crying. This is a couple that was touched by the gospel, that was baptized, uh, and we knew we know the power and the pull of idolatry. When he saw that Reuben was a part of this, um, we we were deeply hurt, and of course we did everything in prayer. We approached them, but they had given up their faith, and. That's the power of idolatry. That's the power that Satan, he's deceiving the people, and they're once again deceived. We live in the Beagle region. Could you go to the next slide? Kind of wanted to show you briefly where we live. Uh, kind of like the Midwest. We live in the Midwest, and you're in the state of Indiana. Uh, we live in the Beagle region on a small island called Capinduanas. That little island right there is where we minister. So really, when the Bible says, go to the ends of the earth, we feel like we're at the ends of the earth. Um, We live on the very northern part of that island, and there's just nothing else on the Pacific in that direction until Guam, which is a four-hour flight away. So I feel like, yes, we can claim God is with us because of his promise in the Great Commission that he'll go with us even to the ends of the earth. In Beagle, there's five million people. Out of five million people, one, less than 1% have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is truly an unreached people group. Uh, in all of the Philippines, there's only one group of people that is less reached than the Bicolano people, and that is the Muslims in the south of the country. And Christian and I, we, it's too dangerous for us to go there. We used to have some missionaries that were reaching to the Muslims, but it got too dangerous. They were risking their lives on a daily basis and had to be pulled out of it. So for Kristen and I, when we were in language shows, we felt uniquely called to go to a place where there is little or no gospel presence. That's a big reason why we went to Beagle, the Beagle region. 
Catanduanes, where we live, so 5 million people, less than 1% have accepted the, uh, Christ as the Lord and Savior. Could you pull up that slide for Catanduanes again? Catanduanes is an island about 60 miles by 40 miles, has 200,000 people on the island where we work and minister, and roughly 1% of people on the island of Catanduanes have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the question is, why is Bicol a least-reached country in the Philippines? Why is it an unreached people group? The reason for that, simply put, is the Pina Francia. When, in the 17th century, when that gentleman brought the Pina Francia, and people were introduced to this new idol, this new way for them, this way to get to God, is what they believed, it dropped like a bomb, and it hit. And before then, the, the nation was quickly becoming an Islamic country. But because of the Pina Francia, it dropped, and it spread from Bicol, and it spread to all parts of the Philippines except the extreme south and the Muslims, where the Muslims are today. And to this day, the Bicolano people, that is their pride and joy. So for a Bicolano person, when they worship, we come together and we worship Christ. When they worship, they're worshiping the Pina Francia. When they pray, they pray to the Pina Francia. When they seek help, they go to the Pina Francia. When there is someone sick in their family, they turn to the Pina Francia for healing and for life and for renewal. That is what they believe. They, they believe is the way to reach God is through this idol. Scripture tells us in Matthew 7, verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. For those of us here who have accepted Christ in our hearts, we have Christ as our foundation. He is our roots. He is where we get life. And when Christ is in us, we, are, we become a good tree, and we bear good fruit, fruit of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit that it talks about in Galatians. When we replace Christ, when Christ is not the foundation and the roots of who we are, the Holy Spirit isn't in us. When we choose the Pina Francia, for instance, the roots are bad, the tree is bad, and the fruit is bad. And we see in our ministry where we live a lot of bad fruit, uh, the fruit of unrighteousness. We see a lot of crime, corruption, a lot of murder, drinking, broken families, and abuse. And just to tell you just a few very, very brief stories of what we see. For instance, like our neighbor, his wife has given her life to Christ, and he has not. He's rejected the gospel. And we live right next door, five feet away from his house, and every day we hear him. He's drinking, drinking and gambling with his buddies, while his wife is off working and making money for the family. That's just his everyday reality. We live kitty-corner to a brothel. We see men regularly going in and out of the brothel. We see young children, children who we know and we love. We see bruises over all over their bodies because of abuse, because their dads are coming in drunk and beating them. We know women, our neighbors, who will talk to one day that has a black eye because their husband is beating them. We see corruption in politics. Everywhere you go in our town are men drinking. You cannot be a man and not get drunk regularly. That's, that's what it means to be a man. And that produces all sorts of problems in the family and in the society and culture where we live. But there is a solution, right? As you say in Tagalog, we say there's a solution, diba, which means there's a solution, right? What is that solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. There is hope. God promises to give us life 
to, that we can live life to the fullest, and he promises us salvation. That solution is the gospel, the gospel message. Our vision is that in people's hearts, in the, on the island of Catanduanas, in their hearts, they, the Pina Francia will be replaced with Jesus Christ. They will not pray to the Pina Francia for hope and life and truth. They will not turn to their idols that every single person on our island has in their house. Instead, they will put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Our goal is church saturation. We will not feel like the job is complete until our island, the island of Catanduanas, has a church within walking distance from every man, woman, and child on our island. And we believe that's only possible through house church. We don't have the funds to put up buildings, to pay pastors. So we are looking to raise up workers who will go out, share the gospel, start Bible studies, which will eventually become house churches. And for them to turn around and train up leaders. And for them to turn around and train up leaders until our entire nation is reached for Jesus Christ. And we believe in our hearts that it is possible. Because in God, everything is possible. Diba? Okay. Um, I could, we would love to come here and share a lot of stories of life change, of marriages that have experienced reconciliation, of husbands that have turned from alcohol and are no longer abusing their children. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, but we're going to focus on one story. That's the story of Morena Recto. You do the next slide. And Morena Recto are one of our leaders. Uh, they were part of a group. In the past three years, we have had three large groups. We've all gone down to the beach, and we've had these large baptisms. So in the past three years, out of those three groups is roughly 60 people that have been baptized. And this is what's really neat. Out of those 60 people we have a little less than half of those people that are right now in our town are sharing their faith, starting new groups, reaching our, our area for Christ, raising leaders, doing the work that Kristen and I and our team have been called. They're doing the work of their missionaries to their own people. So less than half, which is a very good number for a typical church. Uh, Morena Recto, are, I just kind of wanted to pick their story because... Uh, they're kind of a typical story of life change, but uh, there's a little more that I think makes it a little more exciting. Uh, Moreng, she's uh, to my right, and the Norecto to my right, no, to my left. I've got to flip myself around. Uh, in 2007, Moreng gave her life to Christ. We have a 16-week evangelist, evangelistic Bible tract that we work through, and during the course of that time, she gave her life to Christ. Uh, but what was really neat about her story was after giving her life to Christ, she had a huge burden for other people in her community to bring Christ to those people, her own family, but particularly her husband. And that's Recto. And the story of Recto is he's kind of a typical guy. He is uh, he's an alcoholic. He would come in regularly drunk, and he shared the story with me. And whenever he tells it, he'd go like this. And what he was telling me was he'd come home and beat his wife. He was... He would beat his wife, and he'd talk about how he'd come home and beat his kids. That was just a regular part of their life. And Morang started praying for him, and she called all of us missionaries and all of us leaders to begin praying for Recto. Um, in 2000, 2009, we started a, we had a seminar, a marriage seminar. He attended, was there for the entire seminar. We then had a three-week Bible study, which was just kind of an opening introduction to the gospel and a focus on marriage. And he continued, and then he joined our 16-week 
uh, evangelistic track. And during those 16 weeks, he was confronted with the gospel. He learned about God, creation, fall. He learned about God's kingdom. And, of course, we talked about the cross. And when we came to the cross, he was convicted, and he gave his life to Christ. And what I love about this story is, and I told you earlier that Moreng had this heart to reach her family, her husband, and the community. This couple right here, they have grandkids. They have a number of kids that are still at home. And every single night when they get done eating, they open up the Word of God, and they teach their kids from the Word of God, and they're raising up their children to be to live a kingdom lifestyle. Um, and then to the community, Moreng has started numerous Bible studies. She's led numerous people to Christ. She used to be kind of a one-man show. Us missionaries would go once in a while to her Bible studies. She's not a one-man show anymore. Now it's two of them. She has a teammate. And so Recto can uniquely minister to the young guys. He has an amazing testimony. He can share how God has delivered him from alcohol. He's no longer abusing his spouse, and he has salvation. And so together, these two are currently working in multiple Bible studies and working toward uh, reaching our area for Jesus Christ. So praise God. Johnny's going to just ask us a few questions about our ministry. I thought this would be a good opportunity for us just to ask a few questions um, to Tom and Kristen just about some of the things they experienced. Um, you guys just shared with us about uh, about that couple. What's what's another amazing thing that you've seen God do in your ministry? I think for me, what gets me fired up and well, my wife and I, why we're in the Philippines is to see people come to Christ and begin to see life change. There's three people that I, um, each of us were a team of six, so six of us missionaries. There's a couple that are Filipino, they're team leaders, another couple from California, and my wife and I. And each of us have focused on certain people in our ministry, and we have a certain relationship with them. We go deeper with them. We try to walk with them and love them and help them. And there's three people that I really have focused on. And I think for me the most exciting is seeing them when I was there when they came to Christ. And now I think particularly there's a couple I work with. He um, he had a truck run over his foot, and it went gangrene. He lost his leg. And he, for 20 years, had unforgiveness in his heart and deep bitterness that he, he, he almost wore. I mean, he carried this bitterness with him everywhere he went. And we shared the word of God with him, particularly focusing on the life of Joseph. And through that, he was able to forgive. And for the first time, he could say, I forgive this man. The guy had never said he was sorry, but he was able to forgive. Uh, and because of that and other things, this couple, one of their first prayer requests to us, even before they gave their life to Christ, was like, be praying for us. Like, we're, our marriage is not healthy. And to this day, they do not have a perfect marriage. None of us does. But... Their marriage, they have reconciled, and they have a healthy, good marriage. And they have, they have four kids. And so now these kids are growing up in a family that is complete and together, and there's love there. And that, to me, is what gets us fired up. All right. Here's a, here's a question, a little more, a lighter question, if you will. What's uh, one of the worst things you've had to eat? <laughs> okay, so I have to admit that. There's two things in the Philippines that, that we probably should eat, but we haven't. And I'm going to tell you about those. Um, the first one is called balut, 
and it's um, it's an egg, but inside they steam them, and inside them is an egg. It's it's duck embryo, and you can buy them in various stages of development. You know, you can get the ones that are crunchy with the little bones, <laughs> or you can get the ones that are still closer to yolkish. Um, and we, we just haven't haven't pulled it off yet. <laughs> um, and the other one is called dinaguan, and um, what that translates to is really blood pudding. And when they when they butcher like um, a pig, then they'll drain the blood out and they they make they cook the blood basically. And um, we haven't pulled that one off yet. <laughs> All right. Um, what's one of the hardest things about being in cross cultural ministry? Um. I think it's for me as as a, a woman who's raising kids and stuff. It's it's that we we live at work. Um, there we don't ever leave work um, because we're always in a cross cultural situation. Whether we're doing ministry or whether we're just trying to get enough diapers for the kids or we're trying to figure out what meal we're going to eat that night, um, we we never leave work. We just live in cross cultural ministry all the time. Um, and we live far away from, from our families that we love. Yeah, let me, just briefly, yeah, I would say it's saying goodbye to family. For four years, we don't see a lot of our family. Our nieces and nephews are four years older, and we've missed that time with them, those celebrations, birthdays, holidays, and that, we have to say goodbye again. So it's always hard to say goodbye. We're gonna do, we leave, and I think that was one of your questions maybe. We leave in, on July 2. And we're excited to go back, but we go with heavy hearts as we say goodbye to a lot of people we know and love for four years. Um, you know, we're going to ask, pertaining, looking at us now, how does a, a family in northwest Indiana get involved with missions on a practical level? One of the things that um, absolutely anybody can do here is pray for us. Oh, do we cover your prayers? Um, we we just we are we have been so blessed by people praying for us. Um, there have been so many things that we've been through, and we've just seen God with us. Um, last year, one of our daughters had typhoid, and people just prayed and prayed for us, and it um, and she we got the help we needed in an amazing way, and she was healed, and it was just. We could just see God's hand, and we could just see that coverage of prayer over us. It was such a blessing. Um, you know, obviously, we we do also need financial support as we go, um, and as God moves, that that's a huge blessing to us in ministry and allows us to focus more on ministry and less on finances. Um, so those are two ways. Uh, and pr- pray for the Bicolano people. Less than 1% have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need prayer. Part of mission strategy, they say, if you do not have the prayer support, it's almost not worth going. We need, we cover your prayers. Pray for our family and also pray for Bicolanos, the island of Catanduanas, that the gospel will go forth and God will build his church. Okay. Thanks. One other question just pertaining to America. You know, coming back to America after four years of being removed from kind of the culture and coming back, stepping into it, um, what were some of the things that you were surprised by and what are some of the challenges that we face here in the American church? Just, you know, stepping back into that, just witnessing some of the challenges. Um, some of the things that, that we were um, surprised by, 
you know, technology moves so fast while we're gone. We were kind of blown away when we got here by iPods and um, MP3 stuff, and you know, we still don't have a handle on all of it, and we're probably not going to because we're leaving again. <laughs> um, so that stuff really blew us away. And, and just the way that um, you can get anything here. You can walk into a Target or a grocery store, and, and you want something, and you, you just go buy it. And, and every time I, that we come back, the first time we go in Target, I just like almost don't know what to do with myself because there's just so much. So, I mean, it's, it's fabulous and, and we love it, but it, it is mind-blowing when we come back. Yeah. Um, and to answer the question about the church, I, I think the biggest, this is my opinion, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but my opinion, the, the biggest challenge of the American church is people, when they read for instance, and I think Johnny was talking about this a little bit earlier, the Great Commission, they think it's for someone else. Um, I see the American church is a lot of pew-sitters. And th- there's a, almost a consumeristic mentality when it comes to the church. You go to McDonald's, you want good service, you pay your money, and the food better taste good or you're going to go somewhere else. And that's the attitude for a lot of people in the American church. If I'm not, if my needs aren't mad, met and I'm not being fed, I'm going to take my family. So I'm going to take my money and my family somewhere else. We are called, all of us, when we read the Great Commission, when the Bible talks about the rich, when the Bible talks about the poor, when the Bible is calling all of us to get involved, it is talking about all of us. We are all called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I hope and pray that even this church, we can see it's not about Johnny or leadership, that all of us in our life are taking up the call, the Great Commission, to go. Go doesn't mean you have to go overseas. doesn't mean you have to go to another state. It can. Some of you, I hope and pray that some of you take that call seriously to go overseas. But for some of us, it just means to go next door, to go to our neighbors, or to, to go to our kids and to our spouses. Amen. Um, we're going uh, to wrap up now. And there's, we've taken an offering and a couple other things. But um, we'll put the offering basket back on the, uh, that, the brown table in the back. And you can just put the offering in there as you guys go. But uh, we're going to close with communion, and we're just going to pray for uh, for Tom and Kristen. And uh, we were going to do a song, but we're just going to we're going to skip the song. So if the ushers can pass out uh, the, the communion uh, elements now, we're just going to, as they're doing that, we're going to pray. So it'll be sensitive if someone's kind of nudging you with something. Uh, go ahead and take the, the, the bread and the juice. But let's, let's pray as um, they distribute the elements, and we'll just ask the Lord just for his... Continue provision and blessing upon um, Tom and Kristen, but also just the work of the ministry in, in the Philippines. So, Lord Jesus, we, we, we come before you today and we realize, Lord, there is such a great need, God, across the world. And, Lord, particularly this morning, we look at the Philippines and the great need of the people who, who, are, who are stuck in idolatry. And, God, we, we pray, Lord, that you would break that idolatry, that that desire, that devotion to um, to an idol, Lord, would be replaced with a devotion to you. Lord, we realize that that, is only, that only comes by your Holy Spirit breaking and revealing Jesus and turning hearts back towards you again. And we pray, Lord, for a, just a greater fruitfulness in Tom and Kristen's ministry as they go back. God, as they spend the next four years uh, ministering in the Philippines, God, we pray for just the greatest uh, fruitfulness and blessing and and really, Lord, that your gospel would go forth and bear great fruit in that place. 
God, thank you that they don't go alone, Lord, that your word is there, that your spirit is there, that the, the prayers of, of your of your people are going before them, Lord Jesus, and preparing the way. And, and so, Lord, we pray that your word would go forth and be honored in, in that place. God, that people would truly bend the knee, Lord Jesus, to to your purposes, Lord, and, and to you, Jesus. And, and we thank you, God, that you promised your gospel would bear fruit. God, that we're not hoping it bears fruit. We're not wishing it would bear fruit. God, we know that your purposes and your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And we know that your gospel will bear fruit in the Philippines. And God, we pray specifically for Kat and Duanis. God, that on, on that island, God, that there would be just a, just a, um, a revival, God, of, of people turning towards you, turning away from alcoholism and drugs and sex and, and everything else, God, that keeps them in bondage. Lord, that you would release people from that those chains of addictions. And God, that your Holy Spirit would set people free and per- turn people towards you wholeheartedly, God. And we pray, Lord, that in the next four years when Tom and Kristen come back, God, that we hear great reports, God, of what you've done and how, Lord, you've changed lives and how there, there would be many more marriages like we've heard about today, Lord, that would have been transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, we do pray, God, that you would continue to work and move and direct all their steps. God, we pray for their travel back, God, that you would protect them in their travel. Lord, that is with all the, the, the complications of traveling with four young children and, and getting from airplane to boat to car to bus to taxi to airplane again and everything in between, God, we pray that you would protect them. Lord, I pray for the children to be um, just be able to travel without breaking down and having hardships. And, and God, we, we do ask, Lord, that you just be able to just provide for them every step of the way. And, God, we ask for this next month, God, where they're here at home, that you would just allow this, this month, this season of pre- prep- preparation to get back, God, that you would provide for them financially. God, we ask that you would just prepare them um, for the work ahead, but allow them to rest in this, God. Allow there to be a season of rest and peace, enjoying their family, enjoying their brothers and sisters and mom and dad and, and, and nieces and nephews and everyone else, God. We pray that this would be just a great season of, of, of peace and grace and mercy, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, for, for Tom and Kristen bringing the gospel to faraway places to unreached people. Thank you, God, that you've, uh, you are calling people out from even our midst, Lord, to continue to go forth with the message of the gospel. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.